when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the religious authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. So I used to work at a domestic violence shelter and one of the roles that I had there was providing counseling for people in or survivors of intimate partner and domestic violence. One of the survivors I worked with after years of living in an abusive marriage was finally able to find freedom, move into her own house, and start a new life with her young child. In the course of our conversations over several months, one of the things that she was most excited about was finally having place in her home that could fit a family heirloom, a dining room table made by her great-grandfather that had intricate, gorgeous, hand-carved pieces of mahogany inlaid into the surface of the table to create beautiful floral patterns. She would just light up when she talked about finally having the space for this table in her new house and one day being able to pass the table on down to her daughter. Her mother had stored the table in her mother's house until she had a place for it to go, 
Now, as tra too tragically is often the case, cycles of abuse frequently run in families. Her mother was also a survivor of abuse. And now the survivor I was working with was worried about her mother's new boyfriend who just moved in and was showing signs of being alcoholic and abusive as well. She woke up early one morning to a phone call no one wants to receive. There was a fire at her mother's house. Apparently her mother's new boyfriend had passed out after a night of drinking lit cigarette in hand. My client had raced over to her mother's house expecting the worst, but was relieved to find that, thank God, no one had been seriously injured. There was, however, one major casualty of the fire. That gorgeous table that had been in her family for three generations that she finally had room to place in her own house that was damaged in the fire. The beautiful inlaid wood was now covered in char and scorch marks, marks that were immediately apparent, went so deep into the wood that no amount of sanding or refinishing could remove them. The ornate designs carved by hand that survived three generations over 100 years of use was damaged beyond repair. Nearly 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus was put to death by the state by manner of one of the more gruesome forms of capital punishment that humankind has ever devised, crucifixion. But Jesus did not stay dead. He first appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden. Later that day, many disciples were hiding in a closed room for fear that the powers that put Jesus to death would put them to death too. But Jesus appeared in the room with them and said, Peace be with you. He promised them that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. But one of the disciples, a man named Thomas, was not with the others. When he heard the good news that Jesus had appeared first to Mary and then to the others who were gathered, he was incredulous. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in the wound on his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were once again gathered together, hiding out, but this time Thomas was with them. Christ appeared again and spoke directly to Thomas. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas responded, my Lord and my God, for he has seen and now believed. There have been, by rough estimate, a billion sermons preached on this passage, I'm sure. And so many focus on what it means to be Thomas and to doubt, or to be one of the many generations of believers to come in the two millennia since that Jesus seems to be referencing when he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. But for me, there is something else about this passage that we seem to gloss over way too readily. And that is Christ, who had performed great miracles of healing other people's bodies throughout his ministry, is resurrected in a body that still bears the marks of crucifixion. The flesh that nails tore through that was pierced by a spear 
was still marked by the crucifixion. His wrists, his feet, his side still bore the wounds. Perhaps they were healing, perhaps they were puffy and bright pink, showing signs that the body was doing the work of healing. Perhaps the wounds were beginning to scab over, bruises probably surrounding the wounds and covering his face and back. Jesus, with the power to change water into wine and bring Lazarus back from death, chose to be resurrected in a disabled, wounded body. I do not think we truly understand the resurrected Christ. I think we like to assume that if we were Mary encountering him in the garden surrounding the empty tomb, that we would recognize him. Or if we were on the road to Emmaus, we would recognize immediately that Jesus is in our presence. But if the resurrected Christ still bore the wounds of crucifixion mapped over his body, it is no wonder that no one recognized him. Where once may have been a handsome face, now is the face covered in deep purple bruises. Where once there was a man who could walk confidently across a storming sea, there now is a man whose back stings and burns too much from the healing wounds to stand upright. A body that experienced hours of trauma in one of the most painful execution practices, of course, would be fundamentally changed and different. Perhaps that is why the disciples did not recognize that man limping next to them on the road to Emmaus, hunched over and bruised, that that man was the same man who, helped, who healed lepers and cast out demons. Perhaps it is Thomas, then, who truly sees and understands the risen Christ. Perhaps he is saying, I don't believe that Jesus' body could have been resurrected unscathed from the traumas of crucifixion. I need to see the wounds in his hand and his side. I need to touch him to believe that this is not some fairy tale, that this is not some trick or lookalike. I need to see. I need to touch. I need my Savior to bear the wounds of crucifixion the way I bear the wounds and traumas of my own life my own traumas and deaths and resurrections. There is a theory that some biblical scholars have that Thomas the Apostle may have been blind. He is the patron saint of the blind after all, and that may explain why Thomas needed to feel the wounds of Christ in order to see and believe. That may be why Thomas longed for a disabled Christ in resurrected bodies so that he knew there was redemption available for his body in his disability, when society then and now tells him that there is not, or tells him that disability is born out of sin and brokenness, when in actuality it is the brokenness and sinfulness of the world that we do not provide adequate accessibility for disability. I myself am disabled. I experience chronic pain. I have back issues, arthritis in my knee. I'm neurodivergent. I never fully recovered from long-haul COVID that I had over two years ago. All of us who live long enough will be disabled. And nearly every day I experience the ways in which society was not made for people like me. 
inaccessible restrooms, chairs that cannot fit my body, messages from television and movies and well-meaning people that link disability to something I must have done wrong or to a lack of exercise or not trying hard enough or who see me and disabled people like me as inherently broken. And yet, all of us who live long enough will become disabled if we are not already. And our society does not give space for us. And then, add my transness on top of that, people who see the trans body as something that can be legislated away, that is mutilated in some way that is inherently wrong, all those things are lies. The trans body, the disabled body, my body, your body, is not a broken or a mutilated body. It is a healed body, a healing body. So, perhaps I am a little bit like Thomas. I need to see a Christ who looks like me, a disabled, wounded Christ in a healing body, because it is a wounded Christ that Thomas longed to see, and it is the wounded Christ that invited him to see and to touch. It is the wounded Christ, the disabled Christ, bearing the marks of crucifixion that redeems the world and ultimately redeems us, who we can see and touch in our own woundedness, in our own disabledness, in our own pains, and in our own traumas. It is the wounded Christ who chooses to be resurrected in solidarity with the most vulnerable and marginalized of society. It is the wounded Christ who heals us and makes us whole. I began the sermon by talking about a table passed down three generations, forever damaged and scarred by fire. At first, as you can expect, my client was heartbroken over the table, angry at her mother, angry at herself. But then, she told me, she realized that the table was even more of a family heirloom now, even more precious. You see, her and her mother's bodies had borne the traumas of abuse and violence, but they were still here. They survived. The table now, too, bore the marks of trauma, scars of the damage done, but it was still there. It survived. The table, she told me, better reflected her family's story. Beauty, trauma, survival, she saw herself in that table, and through that was able to find some measure of healing, some wholeness, some peace. Through the wounded Christ, we see ourselves, and may we too find healing, wholeness, and peace. Amen.